Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get to today's episode, I want you to know that we at Time of Grace have a ton of resources to help you in your walk of faith. From our TV program, to daily devotions, to our Grace Talks video devotions, to podcasts, to our blog, to books, to other books, till still more books, uh, whatever you're looking for and however you best learn, you can stay rooted in Jesus by taking time out for God's word every day. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email. Now, on to today's episode. Well, hello, 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 everyone. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace, back with another episode of Behind the Series. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're blessed. I hope you're seeking God with your whole heart. And hope you're ready to dive into a great slash interesting slash terrifying and confusing and befuddling part of the Bible, the book of Revelation. <laughs> so we got a brand new series coming up here at Time of Grace. It's called Jesus Judges Churches 2 which I really like. I didn't come up with that title, so I can boast about it. Someone on our team uh, <laughs> took a sermon series that I preached and uh, repackaged it with that great title, Jesus Judges Churches 2. It's a study of Revelation 1 through 3. And if you're not familiar with that part of the Bible, it's where we find Jesus personally speaking to seven separate actual first century churches. And for me, it's this really great reminder that Jesus doesn't just love you know general Christianity or individual Christians is a huge heart and a big passion for the actual physical locations, the churches that we're a part of. So you might be part of a, a tiny church, a house church, a mega church, an average church, an old church, a new church. Uh, but this sermon series reminds us Jesus knows our church. He cares about our church and he has beautiful, encouraging, convicting, and always good beneficial words to say to us. So to dive into Jesus judges churches too, we have back with us. Dun, 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 Amber, do you want to do your own drum roll? My husband's a drummer. I could have him <laughs> do it, but he's not here. I, I have no rhythm whatsoever. So Awesome. That, that was your first test. Would you do your own drum roll? And you nope. humbly deferred. So well done. Yeah. So we, we have back with us Amber L.B. Swenson. Uh, you might know Amber from all of her great work with Time of Grace, her podcast, Little Things, a lot of the writing that she does, Bible studies. Uh, she's been a great gift to the kingdom, great gift to us at Time of Grace too. So welcome back, Amber. Thanks. Thanks. And before we get started, can I just ask, you just got back from Israel not too long ago. Ooh, Have any yes. highlights to share with us? Oh, man. How much time we got? Not much. Oh, it it was it was epic. Uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, I always, this is weird, but I'm a runner. And I always find that I have these really unique, powerful spiritual experiences when I run. You know, because the tour starts at, you know, eight o'clock or 730, got to be in the lobby. So you're up when the sun is rising and the world isn't awake yet. And so me and my wife and Matt, the president from Time of Grace, we would like climb this big mountain next to the Sea of Galilee. And as the sun's coming up, you're just looking down where Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm and fed the 5,000 and preached the Sermon on the Mount. Um, same thing happened in Jerusalem with a great run. So for me, it was those moments, not the you know official parts of the tour, yeah. but just nature and God right in the place where Jesus walks. So it it was really great. Oh, Thanks for asking. Cool. No, I'm glad. I'm glad for you. That's awesome. Welcome back. Thank you. I also last thing uh, I went to the Adidas store in Jerusalem and I saw this super sweet jacket. Um, I was wearing it before when we started our call, and I just had to buy it. I didn't have to. I wanted to. So I, Kim gave me the thumbs up. I bought it. And then I got home and I was showing someone my jacket. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't figure out why the zipper 
it, it's not on the right. The zipper's on the left side. <laughs> to which someone said, it's a woman's I, jacket. I think you're wearing a woman's jacket. Yeah. <laughs> so I have been fiercely, <laughs> nothing against you ladies, but I, I, I don't think I'm wearing women's clothing. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of research on why zippers are on the side that they are in America. And just, so you know, it's an official unisex European zipper. I'm wearing appropriate clothing. So good to know. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> I, I was wondering when you walked in, I thought, what is he wearing? No. Okay. Getting to the sermon series. The first sermon is called what if the church is boring? Mm. Not only is Jesus in the church every time we walk in the church, but Jesus is the word in John chapter one, that whole first chapter is just beautiful. And it describes that the word became flesh and the word is with us. The word came to walk among people. And I love to bring my catechism students through that chapter and just tell them every time they open up the Bible, it's as if they are sitting at Jesus feet, just like Mary or the disciples. So knowing that when we get in the word, whether it's at home in our own personal study or, you know, in a Bible study, or when we walk into church, knowing that we are with Jesus, why is that not enough for us? as first world Christians. So if we're finding church boring, it's just, it's, it's not enough that Jesus is, is there. Why is that? Mm. Yeah. Good question. Um, let me throw a question back at you. If for dinner tonight, you sat down at the table with your family and there was just a loaf of white bread, would it be enough for you? Have you listened to my podcast lately? <laughs> One of my last one of my last podcasts that aired is, are you content with daily bread and oh. the whole concept of manna and how the people should have been thrilled with manna Wow! Yeah, because it was the bread of angels and it was, you know, heaven yeah, sent yeah. and like it, it was, it sustained them. And yeah. like, why is bread not enough? Yeah. That's spot on. So even though God provides what we need, sometimes he's so generous that he gives us even more than we need. So he doesn't just give you bread. He gives you garlic bread. <laughs> or he gives you cheesy bread, or he gives you spaghetti along with the bread. And maybe my short answer to your question is, why is church sometimes boring to us? I think because we really quickly get used to grace upon grace. You know, so if you've been at a church for five years and you really connect with the pastor, just something about the clarity of his teaching or really emotional stories, or it's like he, you know, he's been watching you in your home and the application is spot on. You, you've been enjoying a really, really gifted messenger of the word. And then let's say you go to a church and, you know, the pastor has been faithful and he's preaching the word and it's the same Bible, same gospel, same Jesus, but you've just, you've gotten used to a standard of excellence and the devil has taken what was meant to be a temporal gift and just made it your new standard so that you grumble and you're discontent when God has given you exactly what you need. Can I have a follow-up question to that? Yes. I once heard someone say that the problem with Americans is that we go to church thinking, what can I get out of this versus what can I give in terms of hmm. going to church and saying, who can I encourage today? I want to give my praise to God. Hmm. I'm going there to offer my worship. Um, yeah. I'm going there to confess my sins. Yep. And um, so the whole, and I, I've thought of that so many times because 
typically when I go to church and I am thinking, oh man, the, I, I can't stand this hymn, which by the way, I have been known to text my uh, pastor in the middle of a hymn. <laughs> in the say, middle please, of a hymn? Mm-hmm, no. Please don't ever, please don't ever use this hymn again. You know, those hymns that everybody's like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, so I you have been not. known. You're, I have. You're exaggerated, have. not in the middle of the hymn. I'm not exaggerating at all. Oh, if I, I was your pastor, I just, out. I'd be looking up from the book, like just eyeing you during every verse. Like, is she no, he doesn't keep his, he doesn't keep his phone. He doesn't keep his phone with him. So I have very nonchalantly taken my phone out of my purse, texted him saying, we're on the third stanza and none of us know this, this melody at all. Could you please not put this in again, unless there's a soloist who wants to sing this because this stinks more words than I probably should have used, but I have been known to sort of t- So that's what I tend to do when I'm going to church. Like, what am I going to get out of this? Whereas if I tend to go to church, like, yep. What can I give God today? My worship. So now if I'm in the middle of a song and I I don't know the melody, I'm totally okay. Praying the words in my mind and not even trying to sing Yeah, good. because I'm offering it as a prayer instead of trying to do what I'm incapable of doing. Yeah. So it's just a, a, like a mind switch that seems to work for me. I like that. I like that. I'm thinking of that old acronym. Uh, you heard that joy is Jesus first, others second than you. Yeah. And maybe that's a good way to think about church. If I'm just all about me, am mm-hmm. I, you know, I hate the phrase feeling fed, yeah. you know, it's just all about, do I like this song? Am, am I resonating with this message? It, man, I'm going to really quickly think church is irrelevant or it's boring, yeah. or this isn't worth my time. But if it's all about, wow, G- Jesus is here in this word speaking to me. That's amazing. And you know what, maybe this isn't the perfect message for me or my favorite song, but there's someone that God brought here today and they really needed this. Yeah. So if, maybe if this the is for them and not special. for me, you yeah. know, maybe it is a crappy song in terms of melody, but if the words are special, I mean, there's, there's value in that, right? Yeah. Did I just say crappy? Song? You did. Is you just upped our, our podcast advisory rating to PG 13. I think I just got <laughs> buzzed. <laughs> Well, that's what that's what editing is for. We can we can. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sh- short answer. I, I think we all need to be cautious because you know the devil's not. The church is so important to Jesus. Yeah. The devil's not just going to wait in the car until it's done. He's going to come in and try to sabotage things so that instead of being wow, I rejoiced mm-hmm. when they said let's go to the house of the Lord. Whatever he can do to tempt us to miss that and just the the glorious good things that are happening, he's going to try. Yeah. Yeah. My pastor has said many times, and I so appreciate this. He has um, said, you know, the pastors, you know, a lot of times the pastors in our midst, the small town pastors, the everyday ordinary pastors, they're not flashy or dynamic, dynamic necessarily, but they're faithful, Mm -hmm. faithful to the word of God. And, you know, I don't think I always appreciated that when I was younger, I was looking for a whole lot more, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, the older I get, the more I appreciate that what are the dangers of trying to be the next flashy, big dynamic thing? Mm, Yeah. Good question. Uh, Honestly, does anyone try to, do you think a group of people get together and say, you know what, everyone, let's try to be the next flashy thing. (laughs) I I think at times we can, I mean, I think, I think we can get swayed to, we have to be new. We want to keep it fresh. We want to, I mean, to some extent we can, Mm -hmm. you know, try to be relevant by the way we present things and we can fall into that. Yep. 
Yeah, I think as I was thinking about your question, I think there's a lot of, I think flashy is a little bit of a, it's an easy thing to say when another church has gifts that you don't, right? If I have an amazing artist at my church who wants to, yeah. you know, whether it's a, a banner or something on a chalkboard or a piece of art, like, is that flashy? No, um, no, that's just like using a really great gift. Or if you have amazing vocalists who can sing harmonies instead of like a church where maybe we don't have a lot of great singers, is that, I, I think a lot of churches are just trying to do with excellence what they can yeah. with the gifts that they've been given for Jesus. Now, I, th I think your question's still legit because as we were talking about before, well, we got to be careful. Why are we coming to this place? Mm -hmm. Because if it's just for the art or if it's just for the amazing music, um, back in seminary, I had a professor who said, just remember, whatever you win people with is what you win them to. So if people are coming to your church because, oh, you have this amazing kids program, if you can't sustain the amazing kids program, guess what happens? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not here to hear the word of God and serve my neighbor, I'm here because, oh, I really love this pastor. I really love the band or the, the organist or whatever, the choir. What happens when the pastor takes a call or the organist passes away or that family mm -hmm. moves who's so good at music? So, you know, I, I think it's really important for church leaders and for us as worshipers to say, well, you know, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Can I honestly come with my motives and say, hey, this is great, but these things are way down the list compared to these unchanging things that God wants for every church, no matter what the gifts, what the location, what the size. And that's going to protect us from being in the series, you know, judged by Jesus for having false motives for yeah. gathering for worship. Yeah. Yeah, good. So I have a friend, um, you know, this person too, but we won't mention any names, but I have a friend who often says to me, Amber, what's on your heart right now? Hmm. And one of the things that has really been on my heart and since like at least February um, is the concept of God in us. You know, we talk about God with us all the time. God is with you. God is with you. But the concept of God in us, we, it's well known that the Holy Spirit is in us as Christians, mm -hmm. but I don't know that I recognized and realized what that meant until I read Romans eight again about you know, the Holy spirit didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but we have the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead mm -hmm. and knowing the power of that, anything that we're facing, God is bigger, not meaning that, you know, everything's going to turn out. Okay. If you're in, you know, going through cancer, doesn't mean that you're instant instantly going to be healed, but it means that God in you, he will give you the strength to get up each day and go through the next thing. And did I miss that teaching somewhere along the line? <laughs> or is this just, you know, I love the Bible for this very reason is that one time through you catch one thing and the next time through you catch uh, something else, but I don't hear many people talking about this. It's interesting. I wonder, you know, you and I come from a, a Lutheran theological culture so much of Lutheranism is about the God and the salvation who is outside of us. You know, kind of the basis of our theology is the fall into sin broke us so badly from the inside that we can't like 50, 50 it and split the salvation check with God. Mm -hmm. We need a hundred percent God outside of us to come and rescue us. The father sending the son and the, you know, the work of the spirit to give us faith. Cause it's not in there 
on our own. We're blind, we're dead, we're hostile, you know, all the, the things that the Bible says. So yeah, I was thinking about your question. Maybe the unintended consequence of that good emphasis is we can forget that after we're saved, it's not just all outside of us. It's often very much within us. And so I'm not just this corrupt sinner whose best works are like filthy rags. No, no, no. I'm literally a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to wait till Sunday to be in the house of God. Like <laughs> in a way, my body is the house of God because God dwells within me. So yeah, well, once again, maybe did the devil take something good, like salvation is all God, and turn it into, oh, woe is me. I'm just a poor sinner. I, I can't change. I'm always going to be like this. I'm, you know, I'm a hothead or I'm a worry wart or yeah, fill in the blank. I'm a, yeah. Nope. Nope. I got the Holy Spirit in me. And that's a spirit, like you said, of power and of self-control. So if, if God is in me, who can be against me? And it can change, honestly, every situation. Last night I was at work and, you know, you have to be super, super careful when you write a blog called don't lose your Easter joy that comes out the day after Easter, because <laughs> you can almost be positive that the devil is going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you. And like three minutes into the day, you're going to be like, oh, write that. <laughs> And then honestly, I was just about to start grumbling. In fact, I did start grumbling. And then I remembered the spirit and resurrection power. Hmm. And I, I said, I, I was like praying like, Lord, I'm going to ruin this. I am not going to be a very good representative of you today. Unless your spirit in me can cause joy in my heart that I don't have right now. Hmm. And honestly, this, this whole concept has just changed so much for me that I didn't really recognize before, which is so silly. It's such a simple thing, but I don't yeah. think, I don't think anybody explained it to me and I don't think I got it. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm probably a slow learner. <laughs> I, don't oh, know. But, uh, I love that. When God just opens your eyes to something new, there's that Psalm that says, Lord, open my eyes that I can see wonderful things in your word. Yeah. And not because it's my first time reading it, but there's, there's some gem here that's like game changing. And I just missed it because I was paying attention to yeah. the other amazing things in, in the verse. So yeah. I love that you're going through that. Okay. The second sermon is called, does my church love? Mm -hmm. So Jesus taught us about the plank and the speck in that we so often can see what everybody else does wrong, but we have a hard time noticing like our own faults. Mm -hmm. And, um, in light of that, how can we look at our church honestly to see, to gauge where we're at? Oh man. Or can we, have you ever, have you ever, this is a personal question, so you don't have to answer it, but have you ever gotten in a, a disagreement with your husband? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. Um, I disagree with your husband all the time. No, I was <laughs> thinking, you know, uh, so I was thinking, you know, you're talking about church, yeah. like, how do you not be a hypocrite? I was thinking in a smaller way, in a relationship, whether it's a, a friendship or a marriage, the problem with being critiqued about something is that the person who is pointing out your flaws is also flawed. Yeah. Right. So your husband says that, you know, I, I really didn't like it when blank and <laughs> your brain just immediately spits out this Excel spreadsheet of the things that you don't like about his behavior. And so instead of just focusing on the actual topic of, okay, there's something that might be wrong about me that I need to address. 
I think it's our sinful defensiveness. We just want to totally switch topics like, okay, okay, I'm not perfect. And I got a few things to say. Yeah. And I think from a church perspective, that can happen too, where, you know, if it's another church or a person from another church who's critiquing my church, what's so tempting to me is just to quickly dismiss the concern and to say, well, you know, your church isn't so, and especially if they're not like a hundred percent theologically on point, if I like, oh, sure. You can criticize me for maybe being blunt or, you know, not loving or not generous or not hospitable, but at least I don't teach da, 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 da. Yeah. And so the walls go up, the defensiveness is there and it takes, well, talk about like Holy spirit help. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. They might be flawed. And yeah. maybe your husband has some stuff to change too. But right now, this conversation is about only one thing. And it's about the thing that he brought up. And I got to look in the mirror really hard and open a Bible. So I'm not just dismissing every legitimate critique. Oh, I mean, that's why Jesus taught it, right? Because it is so easy to see the speck and so, so difficult to see the plank. Yeah. You know what I love to tell people? I just received... Um... Oh goodness, like a four or five page letter of critiques that someone was going to give somebody else. I'm going to leave the situation out of it. But what I have found so often, the people who are most likely to critique, what I love to ask them is if they would come help. Hmm. Because it's much easier to critique until you're on in like in the the trenches working. And then when you get in the trenches, like working and seeing what's going on and seeing the bigger picture, it's harder to critique because you're like, oh, now I understand that maybe that's why this isn't happening or this is harder than I thought. But from sitting in that the outside, even people sitting in the church, if they're not in that particular ministry, you know, from the outside, they're like, well, you know, you guys don't seem to be growing or you don't seem to be doing something. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? We need help. Would you mind coming and helping us out? And the second they start coming in, then it's like eye opening yep. to see how things are working and moving. The problem I think we have a harder time with is when I am in that particular ministry and I've got my heart in it, I have a harder time seeing, you know, what our weaknesses are mm-hmm. or our flaws You know, until somebody maybe from the outside goes, you guys aren't even trying to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, you're you're right. Have you heard the, uh, I think it's Andy Stanley. It's a pastor out of Atlanta, the old couch analogy. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. When he talks about like things that need to change, he says, let's say you buy a couch and it's a beautiful couch and it's a great couch and you use the couch and then you have kids and the kids jump on the couch and they spill a little juice, you know, on the Cheerios and, but you grow up and you have to clean up the mess and years and years and years go by. Now you've had the couch for 15 years and you're just so used to the couch being a little bit frayed, a little bit worn, a little bit torn, a little bit outdated, a little bit stained that you don't even, you don't even see it. It's just your couch. Yeah. And then someone comes in and they're like, oh man, nice couch. And you're immediately thinking, no, this is the couch. My kids used to, you know, jump off this into my arms. And you're thinking of all the things that used to be. Mm -hmm. And you just don't realize sometimes things need to change. You're living off. Well, when we used to do vacation Bible school, 22 yeah. years ago, remember there was that one kid who got baptized. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you haven't had anyone come to church despite hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteering. Maybe, you know, maybe yeah. this is a legit critique that it's not a good use of your resources right now. So 
Yeah, to have fresh eyes. I, I know mm -hmm. Andy Stanley says it's really important when someone is brand new to your church community, ask them what they think. Yeah. Before they can start thinking, oh, this is, uh, I guess this is just the way that it is and it's okay for some reason. Like, hey, what's your what's your blunt reaction to this teacher, this mm -hmm. pastor? You know, humbly, what, what do you see? What, what's yeah. kind of weird to you? What's what's awkward? What's confusing? Join the Barnabas group. Uh, <laughs> what's, who's Barnabas? <laughs> you know, so I, I th that's really wise leadership wisdom. Like have the humility to ask for a critique yeah. from someone who's new. And you'll often hear the things you need to hear. Yeah. So as far as trying things that are new, um, how do we know how much time effort we should put into, you know, just enriching the saints and growing people's faith within our church and reaching out? It seems like it can be so easy to get in the habit of just really concentrating on the people inside our church doors mm. with our programs, our money, our time, our energy. It can be so easy. And it's not a bad thing because mm. we're, you know, we're trying to teach the kids and, and we're doing the women's Bible studies and the men's groups. And, but how do we remember mm. that there's a world outside the, the church that needs Jesus? Oh, Amber, you could get me fired up today. All right. This is my, this is a, this is a huge deal for me. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. So just to make sure I'm hearing your question, right. You're talking about the tension between yeah. there's these good things to do with those of us who are already Christians programs yeah. and stuff at church. And then there's this whole world out there that maybe that doesn't, doesn't know Jesus. They don't even know the basics of the gospel, yeah. much less how to interpret the book of revelation. And we're people who don't have a, a million hours a week. So we got to choose. So are you saying, you know, why is it that churches tend to turn inward and forget about the outward? Let's go with that question. Let's just start there. I think going out is a thousand times scarier because you're outnumbered. I think it's pretty easy to have an event, 17 Christians show up and, you know, maybe two guests come, but you're, you're in the majority. Yeah. Yeah. You're controlling the narrative. It's yep. your program, your agenda. But now if I, like this, for example, I, I volunteered a middle school in our community. Like, I, what can I say? What can I say? Can I, I mean, I'm at a public school. Can I bring up yeah. Jesus? This is like, this is messy and this is complicated. Not everyone, you know, we're, we're just, so it's, it's just, it's difficult. Yeah. And it's much easier to think I'm, I'm carrying out this great mission that God has given me because I had a bunch of programs on my church's campus. Yeah. Uh, it's much scarier going like the disciples did two by two to the towns and villages. Oh man. So I think I'm, I'm actually really concerned that the average church unintentionally pressures people to volunteer so much on site that they have zero bandwidth to love their actual neighbors. Out of a hundred church going Christians, how many of them have had a non-believer at their dinner table in the last, let's say six months. Yeah. And your, your brother who doesn't go to church anymore, doesn't count when he comes over for Christmas, you know, but we need ushers and we need, we need Bible study. We're starting this other Bible study and the Christians want a, a fourth Bible study. And then there's just, it's just been my experience that people come to church because of a personal relationship. Yep. You know, after four years of playing soccer, 
oh, okay, I guess I'll come. Or I've known you from the gas station. You come in every morning. And now I just went through this thing. Tell me what time your service times are again. And I've just, it's so rare that you just drop a mailer in someone's mailbox and they show up for worship service. I, I think it takes time and love. Like Jesus said, let your light shine that people can see your good deeds. But if we're creating some sort of version of church where there's no, there's no time for good deeds out there in the darkness, because we're all shining brightly together in these safe spaces that we've committed. I I think we've, it's difficult because it's not black and white, you know, it's a, it's a balancing act. And I think we, we play it safe and comfortable and we're a little bit too much inward focus and not enough outward. And it kind of, it kind of costs us a bit. Yeah. I just think of, I I talked to a, a neighborhood mom one time who told me that, um, all the Christians in the neighborhood, they were gone all the time doing activities at church. Mm. And so they really weren't available to be friends with her children. And I remember hearing at the time and thinking, wow, that's super sad. And yet there was going to VBS to Sunday school to put on plays at the church and da, 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 and didn't take the time to be friends with her, her children. And how many times aren't we driving past all of our neighbors to go to church Mm -hmm. and we haven't taken the time to knock on our neighbor's door, to invite them over to supper, to organize a neighborhood barbecue. Because again, like you said, we're involved in all these programs at church. Yeah. It's, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm really bad at like nuance and the gray areas. So just hard numbers really help me. So maybe if someone's listening, they're like, ah, what am I messing this up? Am I doing that wrong? Just pull out a piece of paper right now and just say, you know, how much time here's my friends who already go to church and here's my list of friends who don't. Here's the amount of volunteering I do in a month. Okay. What percentage of that pie is at church and what is like serving helping a neighbor rake their yard or shovel snow or whatever it might be, you know, and maybe just that'll be revealing to say, Oh, wow. I didn't realize that 95% of the time I'm like yeah. serving the church, which isn't bad, but maybe I just got to balance that out a little bit. Say step back from a, so I have a little bit of bandwidth to do B. Yeah. So for the last six months or so, I have been working in a secular environment and it's been so eye opening for me in so many ways, but over the weekend, um, <laughs> a woman I was working with, I work in a nursing home and there, I don't know if you've seen those life-size dolls that we sometimes give dementia patients, the women, especially like to hold on to these life-size dolls and take care of them. Hmm. And, um, so one of my coworkers said, Oh, that's Mateo. And I said, Oh, we named this doll. And she said, yeah, it's Mateo now, you know, after the angel in the Bible. And I was like, huh, I I'm not familiar with that angel. Can you tell me more? And she's like, well, you know, that there's a, there's an angel in the Bible named Mateo. I was like, "Eh," you know, (laughs) pretty sure there isn't. I I mean, (laughs) you can prove me wrong, but mm, I think I might've come across that. Mm. And she's like, well, let's just Google, Google it. So she Googled it and, uh, turns out, you know what Mateo is. It's Mm -hmm. the Spanish word for Matthew. And she's like, well, see, it's in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's in the Bible, but it's, you know, not an angel. (laughs) Here's me, me, you know, having to be right. And she's like, she's like, well, Amber, angel, God, you know, it's all the same. 
And of Ooh. course me at this part, I'm like, well, I mean, if you're talking about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I mean, we can talk about it being kind of like the yeah. same as God, but are you talking about the created beings? Or are you talking about like messengers or what, what are you talking about? exactly? To which she responds, I do not talk about religion with coworkers. So oh. anyway, yeah. there's a lot of misconception about angels. Can mm. you just briefly describe it? Because the world is constantly saying things like, oh, grandma's an angel now. Yep. Or, you know, when, when you come into somebody's room as a, as a nurse and they're like, you are the angel that I've been praying for. Yeah. Can you tell us a little about angels? I can. And it's a good, just to tie back to this series in those seven letters where Jesus speaks to the churches, the first verse of each one is to the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. And so, yeah, it just brings in this whole hyperlink of yeah, what exactly, how does that work? All right, here's my crash course. Angels are sinless spiritual beings who serve people who are saved. The Greek word angelos or angelos literally means messenger. And 95% of the time when it's used, it's of a, a sinless spiritual being, a classic angel who serves God's people. I'm getting that from, I think, Hebrews 1.14. Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation. A very small percentage of the time, and I actually think that's what Revelation 2 and 3 is, this messenger is the pastor of the church. So I don't think Jesus would be saying to the angel of the church in Ephesus, you need to repent, right? Because if it was actually a holy angel, well, what, what would the angel be repenting of? So the word literally means messenger. That's the big umbrella. Normally it's a heavenly messenger. Like we think of Gabriel or Michael, the archangel. And a, a couple of times it seems to be the messenger that God sends to the individual churches. So to your questions, do people turn into angels when they get to heaven? No, they do not. In the book of Revelation, you got plenty of angels and you got plenty of, of saints, of actual Christian people who have made it to heaven. Um, why do we say you're such an angel? I think because when people don't sin against us, they kind of seem like a sinless being. So if you're really nice. kind to me, angels are perfectly kind. Oh, it's like you're an angel. It's like you just have a little bit in common with how angels yeah. actually are. So it's, it's, you're, you're bringing a little bit of like angelic mm -hmm. stuff into my life, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, it's just weird. Yeah. Once the Bible's closed, people just, they come up with interesting stuff like Mateo, the angel and my, my, my dogs in heaven where yeah. my little brother turned into an angel and it just becomes really fluffy and unbiblical. And it makes people like you twitch a little bit. Well, and also let's face it. I mean, Hollywood do, does their part to have all these misconceptions too, you know? Mm, yeah this is the kind of thing that Hollywood teaches you. So if that's the only place you're getting anything about angels, that's what you're going to have. Yeah. So the third sermon is called faith in the midst of suffering. And can I say, this is my favorite sermon of this series, mm -hmm. not because it's easy to listen to. It's actually really hard to listen to. It's about being faithful in the midst of pain. It's my favorite because I think it's a sermon that we need to hear and we need to talk about because a lot of times People have the misconception that if I'm walking with God, hmm. I shouldn't have to suffer or not this deeply, but that's just not the case. Why do Christians suffer? I'm going to answer your question. Why do Christians suffer? But first tell me more. I mean, what was it that resonated with you about the message? I, I think it's so important that from the pulpit, 
we remind people that being faithful is going to hurt. And you used lots of incidents, like when you're in love with your boyfriend and you know, you're six or seven months in and being faithful to God is kind of going to stink, you know, or when you're at college and you just care, you're, you're trying to live according to the first three chapters of the Bible and say, God created the earth and, and there is a man and there is a woman. And like, if you're just going to live those truths, you might be outcast on your college campus. You might be labeled as someone who, you know, is so antiquated or, or not with the times or it doesn't, I mean, I think it's just such an important message that we don't often get Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we look at persecution as the people across the world who maybe get sent out of their homes or they're put in prison or, and we forget that being faithful in our walk with God is, is going against the stream Mm. and against the current. And so often it's not going to be fun. Mm. So often it's going to be the little choices that we make every single day that say, I'm going to be faithful to you, God. And that means this person at work, isn't going to talk to me anymore. Mm. And that means, you know, that I don't get invited to the parties and that, you know, my boyfriend broke up with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. Uh, I've, I've realized too, do you know who, do you know who really hates it when church people are faithful? Satan. Or is there someone else? Other church people. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Because that Um, puts on them the, the, like, oh, that means that I'm supposed to be faithful. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, you know, I make my friends at church. Yeah. We like to party a little bit. I've seen this a lot. And when there's some faithful, bold Christian who says, listen, drunkenness is in the same list as sexual immorality and homosexuality and adultery. Like we, we, we can't, you guys can't pick and choose which ones you're going to do. I love you. I'm rebuking you. Like what happens to, what happens to that faithful church member, you know, or the woman who takes gossip seriously, or the, the guy who takes the purity of his eyes seriously. Like when, when you're the faithful Christian, it's not just Oh, college professors, you know, I think college professors get the brunt of a uh, 92% of our, of our ire. Um, but sometimes it's in house, I think. Yeah. Your question was, why do Christians suffer? Um, I, you know, there's some just like general suffering that happens because the world has fallen. It's no one's fault, but it really comes down to that where ever since the fall into sin, we all really want what we really want. And when someone tries to mess with what we want, oh, you know, we, we lash out bad. And it might be the community who says, you don't accept and embrace us. So we're going to call you, you know, homophobic or bigoted, or it might even be someone within the church that says, if you're not going to be cool and turn a blind eye to my sin, cool. Like, guess who's not getting invited out when the church people hang out for a barbecue. Yeah. Right. So to me, the whole series that Jesus, who is perfectly loving, he's come, he, he's not afraid to be tough or tender. And there's times where he's just blunt in these letters of like, hey, listen, here's the deal. Here's what's wrong. I'm calling you to repentance. And if you don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not watering it down. And so, yeah, that little line, you know, it's pretty famous, uh, Revelation 2.10, be faithful, even to the point of death. And Jesus promises, and if you do, I will give you life as your victor's crown. 
Mm-hmm. So I just think we need to be really, really honest about what has happened in the human heart, that if I'm faithful enough to say there is a right and there is a wrong, there is good and there is evil, and I'm, I'm just going to evenly apply it to all the people that I meet, it's going to cost you. You're not going to be loved. The, the prophets of the Old Testament did not have the most Instagram followers, right? They were lucky to survive <laughs> because people hate being told that they're not God and that everything they do isn't good. And so it's really good for us. Like you said, let's just preach this consistent message. Hey, God has promised us life as a victor's crown. Well done. Way to be faithful. But it's probably going to cost you in huge ways, socially, culturally, maybe even in your church, if you're unfaithful, even to the point of death. Yeah. So let's talk about that. The whole church hurt because a lot of people, almost all of my best friends have had really, really you know, serious hurts that have come from inside the church, just from, from what you were saying, like standing up and saying, guys, I don't, I don't think this is right. And being the only one, the odd man out and the fallout of that. Hmm. What do you say to those people who have, you know, really experienced this church hurt and have felt, you know, just ostracized for being faithful? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. (sighs) I actually wrote down an answer to that question. I know you, you sent me these questions before our conversation and then I scratched it out and then I wrote a new answer. And here's my new answer. I would want to tell those people, and I bet there's a lot who are listening right now. The devil's goal is to disconnect us from the church. Like God wants us to be part of a church, living in community, regular habits of an open Bible. He wants baptism and the Lord's Supper. He wants structure. He wants pastors. He wants overseers. He wants all the gifts brought together. Like that, that is God's goal. No exceptions. And the devil's goal is to separate you from that, to, to make you independently spiritual because he knows what's going to happen. And so here's what the devil does first, he tempts the other people at church to sin. And sometimes you're the one who sinned against. And then after he's won that spiritual battle, then he turns to you. And now his temptation, it might not necessarily be vengeance or I'm going to get them back. The temptation is because that happened, I'm going to disconnect. And now suddenly I'm seven years down the road and I haven't had a a pastor shepherding my soul. I haven't really had anyone to keep me accountable. I haven't had someone preaching the good news of Jesus's forgiveness to me every seven days. I'm not going to a Bible study. I'm I'm not serving with this group from the church. And I've lost all of these blessings as an unintended consequence of the hurt that I felt from church. So what is so fascinating to me, you know, as you start to read Revelation 2 and 3, is these churches had serious issues. Like, (laughs) bad. Jesus says, if this doesn't change, like, your church is done for. And yet, you don't find a single time Jesus saying, and because this is so messy, let's just, let's disband organized religion. How about all of you just individually have a personal relationship with me and I'll be your good shepherd. Let's keep these messy humans out of it. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. He doesn't do that. Yeah. He knows his heart, his heart is more hurt and broken over sin within the church than anyone listening. Their heart is, but please just know that like I would weep with you. I would listen to you. I would feel for you. The devil won that victory with those people who hurt you in the church. Don't please don't let him win this victory with you. All of us need community. We need support. We need people 
don't let him disconnect you from this beautiful thing that Jesus himself organized through the prophets, the apostles, the church. So well said, and I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if you know this, you don't know this. Um, I haven't told many people this, but I was really struggling with a situation, severe church hurt. Um, I, when I first started my podcast hmm. and pastor Shupi, who reviews our podcasts, he, um, sent me an email and have you ever noticed his tagline at the end? Yeah. Oh, yes. Sent, Remind me lighten up in the Lord. Yes. That's it. So he sent an email to me and the tagline was lighten up in the Lord. And <laughs> you know how it is when you get the right thing on the right day and the yes. floodgates open. <laughs> yes. So I sent back this email, like I sure would love to lighten up in the Lord, <laughs> but this is what's going on and this and this and this and this. And to his credit, he mentored me through this situation mm. and the on off switch for me, I had for months been in despair and just, I mean, physically sick from this whole situation is just really bad. And for months I could not get out of it. And the on off switch for me was when pastor Shupi said, Amber, don't think for a minute that Satan doesn't want to use this and totally paralyze you and keep you from all that God would give you. Like you can either let Satan have this, or you can give it to God and let God own this and take it from here. And from then on, anytime I started feeling like despair or just this hurt, I was like, Satan, you know what? You're not going to get this. It was over. It was just done. Like you can't have this, this is God's and he's got it. And he's bigger than this situation. So that was like monumental to me. And I, I totally agree. You're right on. Satan loves to use these situations to make us think that, you know, it's the worst thing that's ever happened and you're never going to get through it. And, you know, the other person, you can't forgive them or you, you know, can't work with them again. Yeah. It's not yeah. true. It's oh. all, it's all lies. Oh, thanks for sharing that. But that's so true because it, it is so common. I mean, how long can you exist in a community of humans without some pretty deep hurt. So yeah, just what you're saying to give us a good standard sooner or later, you're going to have conflict with someone at church with your pastor. It's, it's going to hurt bad, but be ready for that. Be ready to be faithful, be ready for some hard, humbling work of reconciliation. Maybe you're going to have to find another church, but please do find a church because that, that is a huge yeah. way that God tends to bless his people. Yep. For sure. The fourth sermon is called, do we compromise sexual morality? And, you know, I think those of us who are lifelong Christians like to just assume that everybody sitting in church, you know, no one's looked at porn. No one has slept with their, you know, person they're dating. No one's having an affair. No one's had any, what's the problem with those assumptions? And you, especially <laughs> with your work, you probably have statistics. Oh, I do. I wish I didn't, but I do. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's maybe one person listening who knows uh, a couple years ago, I, I got a, I got a degree in preaching, uh, um, after I'd finished seminary and stuff. And my final project was how do you preach on pornography from the pulpit? So obviously super complicated. I mean, you have people there who are like, ah, this is inappropriate. You have little kids there who are like, what's pornography? <laughs> you have people who are struggling, people who aren't, people who've been hurt by it, people who are proud of it, people who are crushed by their own sinfulness. Like how, how do you approach that? And I, <laughs> the result of my project was a very, very poorly chosen acronym 
It's Vindus. <laughs> V-N-D-E-S. Vindus. Um, Vin, what did I have? Uh, very nice dads eat salad. I, I could come up with some way to make it stick. Don't Let's not get distracted by my lack of uh, awesomeness. Here's what Vindus stands for. And I think it's huge when it comes to the church and our homes and our friendships with sexual immorality. V is verbalize. N is normalize. D is demonize. E is evangelize. And S is strategize. So how do you tackle something like pornography or adultery or sexual morality in your home or in your church? You got to verbalize it, all right? If we're just so scared, this is going to be awkward. My kid's going to ask me a question I don't know, or uh, we, we don't talk like that. No one is helped by silence besides the devil. <laughs> I mean, you're as sick as your secrets. If we're not teaching this in our homes and our churches, the world is not going to help us with this, right? So you got to verbalize it. N is normalize which doesn't mean, hey, everything's okay. It just means it's hugely, hugely helpful when you can say, you know what, if you're struggling with being faithful to your spouse, you're not the first one, right? In Jesus's ministry, he met people, God knew this was so common, he put it in his top 10 list. Yeah, I could tell you statistics, I could tell you stories, like this happens within the church. You gotta normalize it. So if, if you're here and this is your story, you're in the right place. We are the kind of people who deal with this kind of thing, all right? So you're not weird. You're not perverted. You're not like, got to normalize it. D is demonized, which is just a way of saying you got to tell people this is why it's bad, all right? You just might think you're following your heart or you felt suffocated in your marriage, but here's, here's what the Bible says about adultery. Like you will break hearts. You, you will cause all these consequences, most importantly, your relationship with God. So let's not let the... You know, the, the culture says, so it's just pornography. You're just looking. No, no, that's not true. That's not true at all. So that's demonized. Ease evangelize, which I think a lot of Christian books on sexual morality miss, is just preaching good news of forgiveness for sexual sinners. Mm-hmm. So, well, you've been in a bunch of relationships before, sleeping with your significant other. Jesus met a woman like that one time in a well, and he loved her. Have you ever heard about the Corinthians, the Galatians? My goodness. Like church members are sleeping with prostitutes. Paul had to bring up orgies one verse before he talked about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5. Oh, okay. So our, our gospel is for people like you. I'm specifically giving grace, mercy, and forgiveness to people struggling with those sins. And then S is strategize. So, okay, we're forgiven. This is serious. We got to change it. What are we going to do? Is this a book to read? Is this a podcast to listen to? Is this an accountability partner? Is this a pastor I'm going to connect with on a regular basis, a counselor that I'm going to see? And it doesn't take long, but if you do those five things, verbalize, normalize, demonize, evangelize, strategize, I think it's a really, really great way to, if you've ever heard me talk about any controversial topic on time of grace, I'm always following that five point outline. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that you do bring up those really sometimes avoided and overlooked topics Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So it's not just pastors who sometimes have a hard time talking to their congregations about this. I mean, it really is a charge for all of us to step up, whether we're parents with young people or grandparents who have young people, or if we have singles in our family, I mean, everybody, right? Mm. Sexuality is something that affects every single one of us. Mm -hmm. So we can't just bury our heads in the sand and pretend everything's all good and perfect. Yep. Yep. 
But it's our job to remind people of the gift that God gave us in sexuality and how to use it. So what's your encouragement for people? You know, there are a lot of people who just don't feel comfortable talking about this or don't see it as their, their thing or, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, Pastor Mike can talk about that. He's talked about <laughs> porn a lot. Like if you need to talk to someone, you should definitely talk to Pastor Mike mm-hmm. or, you know, what's your encouragement for the parents, the other people who are like, is that my job? And how do I start? And what do I do? And is it going to be awkward? Yes. So I'm hoping, maybe hoping to write another book this summer, a big book and promise you won't steal my title. I think the title of it that I'm going to pitch is the other side of awkward Mm. because there's a whole bunch of things in the Christian life. And this is one of them that there's no way around the awkward, you know, it's like a mountain range and you're sitting on one side of it and there's all these really, really, really good, beautiful things on the other side of it, but, but there's no, there's no pass that you don't have to go up the mountain. Yep. Right. So whether it's confronting like a friend who's yeah. been drinking too much, or it's like talking to my 11 year old about the reality of pornography or sharing my faith, <laughs> you know, with a neighbor there's, I, I can't give you any tips to make it super comfortable. Yeah. It just, it's, it's going to be awkward, but I'll tell you what, on the other side of awkward are some really beautiful, really healthy conversations. When I bring this up in church, you know, it's always sharing my story and stuff. I never know how people are going to react. So it's a little bit awkward, but God's just awesome. On the other side of those, like God, give me the courage to say it. And then someone texts and someone emails and someone confesses and someone gives forgiveness. So I, I just want to plant that phrase in people's minds. It, yeah, it's awkward, but on the other side of awkward, you're not and, going to regret doing the awkward thing because God just has a way of blessing it. And on the, from somebody who has young adults in my house and we have to have awkward conversations like more often than I would want to, hmm. I can absolutely verify that it is 100% worth it every single time. We just had, I'll just share this without names or anything, but I was cleaning my house on Sunday and I came across a gift bag in my living room and I'm tearing it apart. Cause there's, you know, wrapping and stuff in there and I find a condom and I'm like, like what? So I'm texting my children and I'm like, so whose gift bag was this? You know, and I get two no's and a, it's mine. And I'm like, oh, well, we need to talk. Can you come home, please? (laughs) And there's a why. And I send a picture. And this person is like, well, clearly I have no idea that was in there or I wouldn't have left it out in the living room. So, (laughs) and I'm like, well, where'd you get the bag? Which led to, can we come home? You know, so I was like, I think I need to talk to you and the person Mm -hmm. you're dating, Mm -hmm. like right now. Mm -hmm. So they come home and we meet in the driveway because I have other children at home and these conversations can't take place, you know, in front of everybody. And the, the person that this child is dating was like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I gave this person the gift, but I did not put that in there. And I'm like, really, you expect me to believe this? You're, you know, a teenager and you're dating my child and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, this person had somebody else go with to pick out a present for my child. 
they dialed that person on the phone who didn't know I was there. And they're like, did you put anything else in the bag? And the other person starts laughing hysterically. Oh, and they're like, oh, you found the condom. Wow. 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 No way. And here comes Mama Bear Swenson, like grabbing the phone, like, there's nothing funny about that. Don't even think that that's funny. I thought you were a mature, good influence. And what are you? And the other person on the other line is like, I'm super, super, super sorry. I didn't expect you to get that. I thought and it was just a joke. And so just to say, oh, wow. that a lot of times there are awkward conversations and there are such, and I'm not saying that I handle them perfectly, but to ignore it is not an option. Yeah, that is get to the outstanding. Of it. That is so good. That makes my day. I can't wait to tell people that story, Amber. <laughs> I think um, I already have. Uh, <laughs> I probably golden. shouldn't. But. Oh, hey, the, I just want to add a, a quick point. When I started being a pastor back in 2007, I was a, I worked with an experienced pastor named Glenn. And Glenn's advice was always, when you have to have a hard conversation, you have these two words, drip love. He said, just be so say it as many times as you need to, that even though this is awkward, this is because I love you. And even leveraging the awkwardness of like, this is super uncomfortable for me, but I care, I care so much about you. And so here's what I need to say to you right now. You know, people are instantly going to think, Oh, you, you know, you're judgmental. You think you're better than me. And he said, drip love, just let people see it. If it moves you cry, if it makes you nervous, show them your sweaty palms, like let people see this is not comfortable for me, but I'm willing like to go outside in my comfort zone because I care about you that much. And that's easy for me to forget is like, this is right. This is wrong. Why are you doing the wrong things? And so just his big heart and compassion, that's such golden advice. Do the awkward thing and drip love while you do it. Mike, I have something to say. I can't wait to tell you that when your daughters are in their like early twenties or whatever, and you find the condom in their gift bag and I get to tell you drip love, Mike, drip love. <laughs> I will need it. Jesus. You'll be like, you Amber, will you never see my child again. What are you talking about? Drip love. I'll just be swinging my Bible, just trying to hit any young man that I see. This is, but Amber, we're not going to have to worry about this because Jesus is coming back soon, which means before my daughter start to date. No, obviously. no, not going to happen. Yeah. It is important though. It is important. And I had to apologize, especially for the part about you're not my child and I don't trust you. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, our poor children. God has special blessings in store for our children for <laughs> For all they've had to endure from us. Yes, for sure. Wow. Hey, Amber, time has flown by for me. Thank you for just digging into the series and asking some really insightful questions. Um, if you're listening out there, I think you're going to love it. So make sure you don't miss the series in Time of Grace called Jesus Judges Churches 2. Two last real quick things. Uh, I love it how Time of Grace put together a special resource to help you go even deeper on this series. Uh, it's a little book called Letters from Jesus. And it's a combination of writings from me and some of the pastors that I worked with who dove into these chapters of the Bible. So make sure you jump over to timeofgrace.org and get your own copy of Letters from Jesus. Finally, as always, man, it's such a blessing to us, uh, such an encouragement to me and Amber and the Time of Grace team when you just take a little bit of time to rate, review, share this podcast, do all the things. 
put it on the social media, take your favorite, <laughs> just label it. You got to hear the condom story and uh, <laughs> just share it. I bet you we'll get more views than ever. So uh, seriously, people, people hear about uh, the stuff we talk about through people like you. So if you could take 30 seconds after this episode's done and do what you can, we'd appreciate it very much. All right, Amber. So grateful to talk with you today. Any last thoughts for our friends who are listening? Um, you know, I was thinking that you're going to have a book come out soon. And I was wondering why you didn't name it little things. <laughs> we'll catch you next time on behind the series. <laughs> oh man, this is, I thought I had deodorant on today, but suddenly. And for those of you who don't know, Amber is the host of an amazing podcast called little things. And you can find that anywhere you love to listen to podcasts. Yes. I named it little things because so often it is so many of our little everyday decisions that make such a big impact, not just on our faith walk, but in, you know, the direction of our life. Well, Amber, I named my book. <laughs> I'm not trying to be defensive. I named my book. What's big start small. And here's why. Uh, it's actually a book based off the parable of the sower that Jesus told uh, shows up three separate times in the gospels. And he talks about how this tiny little seed uh, that's so small, it can get trampled on or snatched up by a bird or choked out by a bunch of weeds. That little seed, Jesus said, can grow into 30 or 60 or even 100 times what was sown. And so I was just thinking about the power of God's word. Um, you know, sometimes church or reading the Bible or even listening to a podcast can get like choked out with a busy life or snatched up by the enemy. But if we can learn from Jesus how to protect his word in that seed, it can grow into something really big. Uh, it can grow into a life verse, uh, a truth that really changes us. It can give us peace and joy at the, at the craziest, most uncertain times. So I just, I love the anticipation and the potential of God's word. And every single Sunday that we're in church, what's big, start small. So if you're listening and that sounds kind of interesting to you, uh, this book uh, releases June 14th here in 2022, but you can actually pre-order your own copy. So if you run over to Amazon right now, search What's Big Start Small, you can find the book. And I hope it's a blessing for you to read just like it was a blessing for me to write. I mean, the title almost says little things. Almost. Yeah. What's it's Big like, Start Small. Yeah. And I, I opened it up and I thought, you know, see, little things, that, that would be a really good title right there. <laughs> But we'll work on that. We'll work on that. We'll call the publisher and see what we can do. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for listening. Hope you all have an amazing day and God bless.